Shalom, everybody, and welcome to Rabbi E in Three. I'm Rabbi E. I hope this. Ah, I'm live. Okay, good. I'm Rabbi E. In, I'm Rabbi. No, I'm not Rabbi E in Three. I'm Rabbi Yosef Edelstein, and this is called Rabbi E in Three. Rabbi E is short for Rabbi Edelstein, and this is. I'm laughing because it's a live. Uh, uh, Facebook streaming video, although many of you might be listening on podcasts, which is wonderful, but I love to do live videos because I just think it's more exciting, it's more real, it's more like an actual class than just a lecture. Um, so, so that's why there was a little bit of a glitch at first, but now I see that I'm live. I, I'll, I'll be honest with you, I'll tell you that um, about 45 minutes ago, I started a live Rabbi Ian 3, and I went 23 minutes, 23 minutes, don't worry, I'm not going to keep you that long, because I learned from my mistake, but it didn't go live, there was no video, it was all a, uh, it was a rough draft, it was a, it was the first uh, take discarded now of this Rabbi Ian 3 video and podcast, welcome, thank you for tuning in, for listening, for watching, or whatever. So Shabbos is coming, Shabbos is a very beautiful day very elevated day, a day full of light, a day full of connectedness. You know, anyone who keeps Shabbos for a while, I think, or a Jewish person who keeps Shabbat, Shabbos, will feel that they're different, that they're more alive on Shabbos. That's wonderful. It's, I hope it'll be a great, in fact, it's going to be, it will be a very, very beautiful, elevated Shabbos. And I'll tell you why later, I hope, or we'll talk about that. But when Shabbos ends tomorrow night, Saturday night, I guess it'll be August 6th, we, the Jewish people, begin the saddest day of the year, what's known as the 9th of Av, Tisha B'Av. For 25 hours, Sunday, Saturday night to Sunday night, while others will be enjoying summer in good health, be safe, playing golf, swimming, canoeing, all those great summer activities, Traditional Jewish people or those who follow Jewish tradition will be mourning, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G, and fasting for 25 hours. And some, the elevated among us, I don't think it'll be me necessarily, but will actually shed tears, will cry, will, will, will shed tears of grief on what's called Tisha B'Av, the ninth of Av, the day on which both of our temples were destroyed a long, long time ago, Babylonians first, hundreds of years later, hundreds of years later, the Romans. But a day on which many tragedies, besides those two cataclysmic events, occurred, including the expulsion of the Jews from Spain in 1492 and others, the most sad, the saddest, right? The most tragic day in Jewish history, the ninth of Av, Saturday night to Sunday night. We mourn and we fast. Now, Quickly, technicalities, it's actually not on Sunday, Saturday night, the, the 9th of Av. The, today's the 8th of Av in the Jewish calendar. Shabbat will be the 9th of Av. When the 9th of Av, the Hebrew month of Av, falls on a weekday, we fast. But we never fast on Shabbat unless it's Yom Kippur. So the actual observances of the fasting and mourning, which we'll talk about, is pushed off till the day after Sunday, which is technically the 10th of Av, but we observe it pretty much completely, yes, as the 9th of Av, 25 hours of fasting and mourning, lamenting and introspecting and longing, which we'll talk about, um, 
That's right. Now, just so you know, many of you might not know about the ninth of Av and the purpose of this Rabbi Ian 3 episode is to talk about what it means, why we do it. How is it relevant to us, this day called the ninth of Av or the observances of fasting on the ninth of Av, Tisha B'Av. Tisha means nine, the ninth of the Hebrew month of Av. And I didn't grow up knowing anything about this, never heard about it until I was in my 20s. Um, But in any case, so whether you know about it or not, I hope that I'll share with you some insights to make it more understandable, meaningful, and you'll gain something from it whether or not you observe it, so to speak, right? Um, So we observe the 9th of Av this year on the 10th of Av on Sunday. Ah, we can, don't worry, you can watch this Rabbi Ian 3 video, you can review it, you can watch many other videos. Many great rabbis speak on the 9th of Av. So it's a tremendous day of potential for Jewish education. So check out Torah anytime, or or Sameach, or Chabad. There's so many ways to access Jewish learning online. I'll probably get online and just start to ramble, <laughs> like I do, Rabbi E, on Tisha B'Av, but it's a day, so whether or not you've observed it or know about it, you can learn about it, and how it's meaningful to you and me, Jew and Gentile, right now. The ninth of Av, Tisha B'Av. Ah, but we can work on it. That's why I said we can drive cars. It's, it's like Yom Kippur, or for that matter, Shabbat, in the sense, oh, sorry, not sorry, not Shabbat. Sorry about that. It's not like Shabbat. It's like Yom Kippur in terms of the the stringency of the fast. Uh, not if someone's unhealthy or has a medical issue, talk to your local authority about that. But no, no, obviously you don't endanger yourself to keep the fast. Um, but it, it's it's second only to Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, in its stringency as a fast. But we drive, you do work if you have to, so you can watch videos and access great rabbis and great rebbitzins and great Jewish wisdom and whatever. Okay. Why are we crying if we cry? And I, please don't think I actually shed tears on the 9th of Av, the day, on the, destru- the day of the destruction of both temples, although I-, I-, I wish I did. I can't claim that I do, but I have witnessed great people who do cry, who literally shed tears of mourning and sadness on the 9th of Av. But in any case, why are we crying? What, uh, the temple, the Beit HaMikdash, as it's called, well, the tem- it's been 2,000 years without the temple. The lights just went on and off. <laughs> we might lose power here. So that would be, that's a good metaphor, right? That what happened when the temple was destroyed, the, the a certain sort of spiritual power was lost or at least diminished. So I hope it won't happen here. But in any case, um, why are we crying about that? Or why are people crying about that? Why are we even observing as a fast day the ninth of Av? Who cares? What, how, are, how, are, how is our life different without the temple? That's the goal here to understand a little bit Jewish, if you're Jewish, wonderful. If you're a non-Jewish person, wonderful. Because the existence of the temple made a big difference to you and to me, to all of us. And the lack thereof makes a big difference to you and to me and to all of us. So let's try to understand. Obviously, the temple was the, you know, the the beautiful building, the, the crown jewel, if you will, of the Jewish people in the land, the first temple built by Solomon. Then there was, an, there was a destruction by the Babylonians in exile, second temple, also beautiful. Um, it, it, was the, it was the symbol of the unity of the Jewish people, a symbol of the covenant between God and the Jewish people. A physical place in Jerusalem, and if you've been to the Western Wall, and if you haven't been, go, 
that's the like a part of an outer retaining wall. But up there, where there's a mosque now, that was that's the, called the Temple Mount. The temple, the Jewish temple, was there. Um, it was a place where the Jewish people would travel to three times a year by Torah law. The three pilgrimage festivals: Passover, Shavuot, and Sukkot. And other times during the year, people would travel there. And even if it wasn't a specified holiday. Jewish people or Gentiles would go to visit the temple for whatever reason. So it was a focal point. It was a symbol of the uniqueness of the Jewish people, of the unity of the Jewish people. But it's much more than that. Let's understand why was it the symbol of the Jewish people, the unity of the Jewish people? Because it was the Beis Hashem. It was the house of Hashem. The Holy One, blessed be He, who's infinite, Ain Sof, the Kabbalists call Him without end, the infinite One who fills all of space and whom we can connect to everywhere, even now. But even so, the infinite One, Hashem, concentrated His, his presence, if you will, within the Temple. And connected to the temple. So that means that in this physical world, this incredible, beautiful world, where anywhere, anyone, Jew or Gentile can connect to Hashem, that's a core Jewish teaching, but there was a place in the world where you could feel God's presence, the connection between this world and the next world, where you could feel the reality of, this, of the transcendent more than anywhere else. And that was the base of Mikdash the temple, the Makom HaShechina, the place of the Divine Presence, House of Hashem. <laughs> a place where you could feel holy. Every one of us, you, our counterparts, it's thundering out there, please Hashem, don't let, don't keep the power on right now. You can feel the power, the true spiritual power that is the core of each one of us and of the whole world. You could feel as a reality you can experience as a reality in the Beit HaMikdash. <clears throat> That's what we're taught. You could sense an awe, a light, an illumination, a feeling of connectedness. Every one of us. That's what they're taught. Now you could say, wait, 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 hold on. If it was such a spiritual place, such a holy place, well, well then how could the Jews of the first temple period or the second temple period do anything wrong? Because godliness is right there. yes. And yes, human beings have a force of of ra, of evil, a yetzer hara, an inclination towards evil. We have free will, even with a great illumination and a great connectedness, spiritually speaking, like the temple and what it was, there still could be free will. A person could still follow his or her desires, temptations, you know, s smallness of mind to do what's called what are called transgressions or sins. We didn't become puppets or robots, um, you know, because there was a temple in our midst. But there was the possibility and the reality of a palpable connection to godliness, to holiness in the world. It was a place of prayer, collectively for the Jewish people, individually, for non-Jewish people too. There was what, the, what happened in the temple was called the avodah, the service. There was a service of God. Truthfully, our prayer today mirrors the service in the temple, but there was a service. There were offerings brought. We don't fully understand them. Animal offerings, what was that all about? That's not our discussion now. But 
it, every person in this earth could go to the temple and connect more to what was important and real and eternal in their lives. And there was atonement and there was purification and there were offerings brought on behalf of the Jewish people and the non-Jewish people. It was a very, very special place. It's gone now. You could go there and feel elevated. It's gone now. And when I say elevated, it wasn't just, I, I think now, obviously, human beings have free will then and now. But it wasn't just I go, to a, I go to a movie for two hours, I get all inspired and then, you know, or excited or I escape from my problems and then I go back to same old, same old. No, the purpose of the temple, and I believe, and I don't think it's naive to believe, that most of the time, certainly early on, the temple would affect a change in your life if you went to it. You'd feel differently. It would, it would spill over into your regular life a more elevated life, a more connected life, a more selfless life, a life with a, a living connection to the reality of Hashem, of spirituality. Not perfectly, but that's why we went three times a year at the three pilgrimage festivals to re recharge our spiritual batteries. So my point is, it wasn't just that you'd go there and like take a few pictures and like, you know, you know, post on Yelp. I had a great time at the wall. No, it affected your life. It elevated your life. <clears throat> of course, in the first temple period, there are prophets who also got a direct beam of inspiration and illumination from Hashem that didn't exist too long into the second temple period. So my point is that the temple was not just a one-off. It was connected to prophecy early on. It was connected to the unity of the Jewish people, their autonomy relatively in the land, and a, and a Supreme Court of the Jewish people that would adjudicate laws of Torah right near the Temple Mount. But in any case, when the Temple was destroyed, first destruction, there was an exile, then we came back, rebuilt the Second Temple, but now it's been 2,000 plus years. Hold on. Almost 2,000, sorry. The Temple was destroyed in 70. Not quite, but almost 2,000 years without a Temple, without any of the things that were connected to the Temple. No prophecy, no Supreme Court of the Jewish people. And I think you'll see quite a bit of fragmentation in the Jewish world if you look closely or not so closely. So we're missing connectedness, illumination, light, spirituality, unity. Now, we're missing a lot and we have to understand that now and on Tisha B'Av, but we have a lot still. God can be accessed by you or me, Jew or Gentile, anywhere in the world. Absolutely. We still have a Torah, 613 commandments. Every commandment is a, a candle, the rabbi, the King Solomon said. It's an illumination. It connects us to something higher. It's a, another me metaphor the rabbis actually in the, in the oral tradition use. It's like a life preserver to prevent us from sinking in the, the ocean of physicality and materialism. Every mitzvah does connect us to something higher. Yes, God hears our prayer still. Yes, there's still Shabbos, the light of Shabbos coming soon. I got to hurry up here. Shabbos has a light, the rabbis say, that's similar to the light, the illumination, the spiritual connection of the Beit HaMikdash. And we have the land of Israel. We have that we can go to the Western Wall. I was there a few weeks ago. What an inspiration to go to the Western Wall. You see Jews and Gentiles congregating there, praying there, being in awe of something they can't even fully articulate or express at the wall. So we have a lot. When the temple was destroyed, it didn't mean zero, but it was a destruction and we are missing something. 
We're not people who are as big in ambition or big in accomplishment or big in spiritual connection. We're missing something, though we have quite a lot, but we're missing something. <clears throat> so why do we cry then? Why do we cry? I don't cry on Tisha B'Av, like I said. I, I don't think I really shed tears, but I've met people who do. But why do we cry? It's not crying over spilled milk or broken stones or even spilled blood, though it's partly crying over the suffering and tribulations that came in the wake of the destruction of the temple, right? Every suffering of the Jewish people in what's called the diaspora, the exile, up to and through the Holocaust and beyond can be connected to the destruction of the temple in, by the Romans in the year 69 or 70. And so, yes, we do cry over the spilled blood of the Jewish people and the non-Jewish people. <laughs> because the non-Jewish world has been the victim of many a tyrant and many a despot and many an, an evil, <laughs> bloodthirsty dictator. I'm not going to name any names right now, but some will readily come to mind. Um, so we do cry over spilled blood, but not in the sense of like, oh, how, how much we suffered in the past. The great rabbis and holy teachers tell us that the real meaning and purpose of the mourning and crying, if you cry on Tisha B'Av, is crying of longing, longing to reconnect. There was a break. There was a rupture. We want to rebuild it. We want to reconnect it. We lost a lot of light, though we still have or light, but we lost some light. It's darker. It's more confusing. We want to return to the light. We're crying because we want that back. And we as a Jewish people know we messed up. It was our shortcoming, sins, transgressions, that led to God removing his presence from the Beit HaMikdash. I'll mention that right now, because that is a very big part of Tisha B'Av, that we're not just crying, we're, we're crying about our own devastation spiritually, and our own transgressions, <clears throat> with, a, with an intention to improve them and rectify, always to rectify, right? What transgression would cause God to remove his divine presence to some extent from the world, from the temple? Well, famously, you might know the Talmud says the second temple, which we're closer to in time and in spiritual you know, connection, um, the second temple was destroyed by what? Sinat chinam, hatred between Jews, division, jealousy, smallness of mind, competitiveness, uh, hatred for, for not principled disagreements, we should have principal disagreements all the time, but not to let that bleed over into hatred and to not liking someone because they're not like you or they observe different than you or whatever. Ahavat Yisrael, the great rabbis of our time and earlier times stressed the, the way to, the antidote to sinat chinam, hatred for no reason is ahavat chinam, a gratuitous love, love for your fellow Jew and for every person in this world created in God's image who's not an evildoer. And even the evildoers, by the way, don't hate them, our rabbis say, hate their evil deeds and pray for their repentance and rectification. So let me finish now. Ah, oh, I'm going to go short. I'm not going to go to 20 minutes. Ah, oh, that would be terrible. Rabbi Ian 3, that's 20 minutes. But this is an important topic, right? So it's a day of longing. It's a day when our tears or our sadness or just our looking to look at our situation head on and to see that we're living in a world of God's hiddenness. And it wasn't always that way. And it doesn't have to be that way. And it won't be that way forever because we long for the messianic redemption, for the benefit of us and of all the Jewish people. 
I hope Tisha B'Av is a meaningful time for you to take stock of yourself. In what way are you feeling distant from connectedness, spiritual wholeness, Hashem, your soul, your deeper purpose in life? It's all ways of expressing the same idea. Get in touch with that and feel bad. Try to feel bad, want to feel bad, then you're lacking that and long for the restoration of that closeness and that completion and that light. And then we exit the darkness and we're in a difficult time in the world, China and in the land of Israel and in Ukraine and the economy. Hashem should help us to have light and the restoration of the Beit HaMikdash, the third temple forever, the unity of all people, mankind, in a single society, as we say in the Rosh Hashanah prayers, to do your will, Hashem, wholeheartedly, to elevate ourselves and this world the way we were intended to do. Have a wonderful Shabbos and a meaningful Yom Kippur, uh, not Yom Kippur, Tisha B'Av. Thank you for listening. Hear me next time.